North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Amen. Here we go. We're talking about Jesus today. And so if you're a believer and you're here, then you know that this is what we're about. We're about Jesus. If you if this is your first time and you're kind of having questions about Jesus, well, then you are here at the right place at the right time because we are talking about Jesus today. And I and the real Jesus, not just who we think Jesus is or who we hope Jesus is or even who we think Jesus should be. We're going to look at scripture and find out who Jesus is really is. And so if this is your first time, we want to welcome you. Thank you for being with us. If this is your 100th time, again, we want to welcome you too. Thank you for being with us. I hope you guys are doing good. If you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 8. We'll get there in just a minute. Mark chapter 8. A couple days before I my senior year in college officially started, I was on campus. I had a meeting with my basketball coach there in the cafeteria. And so I was heading there for that meeting. And, and this was a time in my life where I was feeling particularly good about myself. This was probably the best I felt about myself at any point up until that point in my life, just feeling really, really good. I, I had just gotten off an internship that summer at a good church in Oklahoma, and I had a meeting with the pastor before I left, and he said, hey, man, uh, we loved having you here. Thanks for being a part. Uh, you have a job waiting for you when you come when when you graduate. And so I was feeling really good about that, thinking, man, I don't have to worry about any of that. I uh, <clears throat> I just got married to Melissa, and so feeling really good, feeling like an adult, like a grown-up. You know, even walking there on campus at that point, I just felt like campus life was a little beneath me. You know what I mean? Because I had arrived, I was married, and I, I, I was enlightened now, and I got things figured out, and just feeling really, really good. Um, I was on the basketball team there, and um, we were supposed to be really good my senior year. In fact, we were favored to win the national championship again. We had just won it my sophomore year and my junior year, so feeling really good about that. I had just won the MVP of the national tournament, and so come on, somebody. I'm kind of a big deal, right? And... Um, really feeling like a big deal, you know? I, I, I was at that stage in my life where every morning you, you get yourself fixed up in the mirror and then you give yourself the finger guns before you leave because you're just feeling so good. You know, you've been at the finger gun stage in life before, right? And you're just like, man, you are awesome. You know, man, anybody would just be lucky to know you, to, to be married to you. Melissa was so lucky that she got me locked down, you know what I mean? I just feeling good about myself and Walking to, on the campus into that cafeteria, I saw uh, another senior. He was walking out, and he had you know, one of those uh, like leadership shirts on because they'd been there helping freshmen move in all day and meeting parents and, and on that student council that, that was doing that. And, and as I was passing by him, <clears throat> I was just, you know, I didn't have time for a conversation. I didn't know him, really. And so I was just walking by, and I kind of gave him the obligatory like head nod, hey, man. Um, and just kept walking, and, and when we got real close, he just jumped in front of me, and he stopped me, and he said, so how you liking it? I said, what? How you liking campus? How, how, you, liking, how you liking the school so far? What'd you think of orientation? I said, man, I'm not a freshman. He said, oh, oh, man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't know you, I don't recognize you and stuff. Are you a sophomore? I said, I'm a senior this year, just like you. We're in the same grade. He said, oh, oh, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So man, we probably just don't run in the same circles, man. What do you do? What, like, what are you involved in? What are, what are sort, of, sort of your groups and stuff? And um, 
I said, well, you know, I'm, I spend most of my time on the basketball team. That takes up a lot of time. I'm, I'm a part of the basketball team and stuff. And he said, oh, oh, okay, I'm sorry. And I wanted to say, dude, you should know this. I've seen you at the basketball games. Like, how is it that I, playing the basketball games and able to look across the, the court in the 30 seconds that I sat on the bench, come on, somebody. <laughs> Man, I'm feeling it now. That's good. But how am I able to know who you are and see you there and you don't even recognize me and I'm running up and down the court all the time. And, and, and so I'm thinking all of this in my mind. I don't say that to him, but I'm thinking this. And, and I say, I'm on the basketball team. And he says this. He says, oh, do you ever get to play? <laughs> you kidding me? And I said, uh, I said, yeah, man, actually, you know, I've been starting since I was a freshman, like in kind of a big deal, you know. Um, and then he says this. He says, are you sure? You know, you know, sometimes you get that, you just get that feeling and you have like two responses, one playing in your head, like what you want to do, like Bruce Lee punch, right, to the chest sort of thing. And, and the other is like, you know, kind of the filtered response. I said, yeah, man, I'm sure. Hey, look, I got to get going. Um, I got a meeting here. And so, you know, we'll, we'll catch you later. And I hated the fact that I knew his name was Ben and he didn't even recognize me. And it just, it just totally destroyed my ego and stuff. And I was feeling really good about myself. And just a moment, I walk and have a random conversation with a random guy and he just completely destroys my ego like a like with a tank and and I realized in that moment and I've realized it over and over and over again through the last several years in life whenever I'm sort of feeling myself and feeling really good about myself thinking that I'm somebody really really important um, I, I begin to I begin to realize who I am isn't all that big of a deal who I am isn't all that important. Now, now, in that situation, in that context, who I was mattered a lot more to my basketball coach than it did to this other um, classmate who, who didn't know who I was. And in the context of my life right now, who I am to Melissa and my kids matters a lot more than who I am to you. And, and in this context, who I am to you matters a lot more than who I am to, to, to somebody that is in Florida. But, but what I realize is who I am really only matters to a very small group of people on this earth. And we, we want to have impact and we want to change the world and we want to do big things for God. But as we look at it through the filter of where we are on this planet, the reality is who I am, who you are, really doesn't matter to a whole lot of people. But we spend the entirety of our life, we spend almost all of our time obsessing over who we are. The choices we make, the, the decisions, our career path, uh, um, how important we are, what people think of us, how confident we are, how successful we are, what we have to do to make more money and to have more influence and, and to convince people that we have our act together, to take the right pictures and post them on Facebook so everybody can be jealous of who we are and, and want our life. And we spend most of our time obsessing over who we are when the reality is we should spend our time obsessing over who Jesus is. Because if who we are really only matters to just a, a small group of people, in comparison, who Jesus is matters to every single person on this planet. Who Jesus is. And so this morning... Um, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're not going to focus on me. We're not going to focus on you. We're just simply going to talk about 
Jesus and who he is. And, and for many of you, this may be a message that you've heard a thousand times before, but, but in this life and as we walk through this faith relationship with Jesus, we constantly have to circle back to who Jesus is. Amen? We can talk about um, what God's will is for our life and, and how to have the fruit of the Spirit and how to walk in obedience and how we should respond to God. But we constantly have to come back to this question and come back to this reality and come back to this reminder of who Jesus is and just simply talk about Jesus, how amazing he is and who he is. And so today I don't really have a clever message or a strong outline. We're just going to talk about Jesus and, and try to discover who he is and who he tells us he is. And so it's going to be very simple. And so we're going to start in Mark chapter 8 this morning, verse 27. It says this, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And so they're just walking along. And as they were walking along, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? On the surface, this seems like a little bit of an arrogant question. Like, um, you know, everywhere we go, there's big crowds of people that come, and I'm invited to all of the best dinner parties, and I always get to sit in the best section. I'm like the VIP wherever I go, and people are crowding around and wanting to talk to me and wanting to get to know me and, and, and pressing in and hollering at me from the distance. And, and so, um, you know, we kind of get this impression that Jesus has been reading the headlines, and he kind of thinks he's a big deal, and so he's wanting to talk about it a little bit. Who do people say that I am? And, and it would be like if you're going on a, on, you know, to a conference, or something with your boss and, and, and your boss is doing really well and as you're driving in the car, he brings this up and he says, hey, you know what? I just want to talk about me for a minute. I just want to talk about how awesome I am. Let's talk about this. Like, you know, people in accounting think that I'm, what are people in accounting thinking? What are people in accounting saying? They think I'm a pretty big deal, right? You know, what are, what are people in the other businesses and, and, and talking about how awesome they are and it feels like, like it could be very arrogant in the tone and the direction. And if you were with that boss, you'd be like, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable with this because I don't know who you think you are, but, but not everybody loves you, you know, sort of thing. And you would really want to set him straight or bring him back down to reality. And sometimes as we read this on the surface, it may feel like Jesus is fishing for compliments when, when the reality is what he's saying here is or what he's doing is going directly to the heart of the single most important question that any human being walking on this earth will ever have to answer. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Verse 28. Well, they responded, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. The others say that you're one of the other prophets. And so essentially what they're saying is, you know, uh, like, like the jury's still out. Nobody really knows. There's not a consensus of, of who you really are. But, but for the most part, everybody thinks that you're somebody special. Like you have a special connection with God. Like you're one of the prophets, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, somebody, you know, who, who, who kind of, you know, works and operates in the supernatural. But nobody really knows for sure. And the disciples say there's lots of different ideas, there's lots of different responses, there's lots of different thoughts here or opinions, and, and it's no different today. It's no different today. When you ask who is Jesus today, there's, there's many responses. When it comes to this question, though, was Jesus a real person? Was Jesus a real person? There's not very much debate with that. Most people agree that Jesus was, in fact, a real person. 
Um, almost all today will say, yes, he did exist. He was a real person. He was flesh and blood. The evidence surrounding that was so strong. Even conspiracy people will say, yeah, Jesus was real. He was a real, living, breathing human. But that doesn't answer the question, who was Jesus? And so the next question usually goes to this. Is Jesus God? Is Jesus God? When answering the question, who is Jesus, we always have to, do, to go to that next progression. Is Jesus God? And this is where it gets a little tricky. Christians, believers, many of you, would come in here today and say, yes, absolutely, a definitive, 100%, Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. Everything that we believe, the one foundational pillar that matters more than anything else that we teach, that we believe, that we lean on, is that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. If that's not true, then everything else that we do teach, believe, will fall apart. Jesus is Lord. So for Christians and believers and people who walk in relationship with, with Jesus, that is where we land. Yes, Jesus is God. Others will answer, yes, kind of. They'll say, well, well Jesus was kind of God. They, they won't say Jesus is God. They'll say Jesus was a God. Pantheists like Romans and the Greeks and some Native American cultures, they'll say that, that he was a part of God or he was one with God. This wouldn't be anything outlandish or completely extraordinary in that claim. There's a lot of people who said that they have been divine. All of the pharaohs of Egypt have claimed to be God. They were one of the gods or they were God-like, special, divine, kind of, sort of, set apart, special. Not God, God, but yeah, he's one of the gods and, you know, kind of, you know, cool and limited in power and authority and scope, but, but has a little bit more power and authority than humans. and Yeah, kind of, like, like connected to God, sort of say. Um, some will say, and, and many believe, like here today, like, uh, or not here in this room necessarily, but in our culture today, some will say, no, absolutely not. He wasn't a God. He wasn't divine. He wasn't special. He was, he was just really sort of an extraordinary person. He was just a, man, he was a dynamic guy. He was, he was, a, good, he was a good guy. And, and, then, and then when you find out that they believe that he was just a person and not God, you have to ask the question again, well, then who was he? Who was he? Tell me about him. What do you think? Who do you think he was? Who do you say he was? Some will say he was kind of an outside-of-the-box thinker, maybe sort of an anti-establishment kind of revolutionary, a good person. You know, some will even suggest, you know, he was kind of that, you know, peace, love, um, you know, sort of hippie, stoner type person that was all good and, and things like that when you ask this question, who is God but, or who is Jesus? But the general consensus of the people who fall into the camp that say he was real but not God then who was he? The general consensus is that people most often say he was a good moral teacher. He was just a good moral teacher, a good guy. He loved people, good intentions, good thoughts, good teaching. Uh, he, he was just a really, really good guy. And, and that's the, the conclusion that most often people come to, but C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis argues that this is the one conclusion that Jesus never gave you the option to land on, ever. He says that um, you can never come to the conclusion that Jesus, if he's not God, was a good guy. 
or a good moral teacher. This is what he writes in, in Mere Christianity. He says this, Either this man, talking about Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I love that. He said, let us not come with any of this patronizing nonsense. Landing at this conclusion that he was just a good moral teacher and not God. You can't say that. You can't come to that conclusion. The facts don't bear that out ever. But this is exactly where most people fall in answering this question, who was Jesus, when they don't believe he was God. He's just a great moral teacher. And I believe that so many people fall into this trap because they're looking for an escape to answering this very, very crucial question, who is Jesus? And so what we're going to try to do today is, is we're going to try to answer this from a, a variety of different angles. But first, um, let's look and see what Jesus says. Who, who does Jesus claim to be? Who does Jesus say he is? So instead of us coming to the conclusion, let's ask him first. Who, Jesus, do you say you are? Instead of me, let's, let's flip that conversation back to him. So Jesus, who do you say you are? Well, let's look at scripture and see what scripture has to say. In John chapter 14, just before Jesus's death on the cross, he's talking to his disciples and he's kind of gathered them in and, and he's, he's sharing with them and they're talking through some things. And Jesus tells his disciples this. He says, trust in God and trust also in me. Trust in God Trust also in me. And, and many times when we're reading scripture, we're just going through, maybe we're doing our Project 365, just trying to get done and get our check mark for the day. We read that and we move on and we don't ever stop and think and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal the magnitude of that statement. What Jesus is saying is trust in God, trust also in me. And in this, what he's doing is he's elevating himself to the same level as God. Think about this. He's saying to the level in which you trust God, Trust also in me. To the level of which you love God, love me. To the level of which you have faith in God, have faith in me. And, and what he's doing is he's saying, God is here, I am here. We are on the same level. We are the same. Trust in God, trust also in me. Now this is a claim that you and I would never make. We wouldn't say, you can trust me at the same level as you can trust God. How many of you would say you're trustworthy people? Just audience participation? Like seven of you. This is a bad crowd. I'm going to ask again. Humor me a little bit. How many of you would say you're, for the most part, trustworthy people? But none of us would say you can count on me the exact same way you can count on God. You can trust in me the exact same way you can trust in God. But Jesus says, trust in God, trust also in me. He's elevating himself to the same level as God. He goes on to say, guys, look, trust in God, trust also in me, but, 
but I want you to know I'm getting ready to go. I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. And, and where I go, I'm going to kind of develop some things, and there's plenty of room there for you. I'm getting some things ready for you. And when the time is right, at the end of the age, and, and when everything has been completed, I'm going to come back and get you so that you can be with me forever and ever and ever. Like, you don't know where I'm, you're going to have a lot of questions about this, and you may not know where I'm going or how this is all playing out. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Um, when, when God says it, it's trustworthy. When I say it, it's trustworthy, even though it doesn't always make sense. You can trust me even though you don't fully understand. Like Joshua, when, when the angel of the Lord told Joshua to march around the city of Jericho once a day for seven days and then seven times on the seventh day and then scream and shout and then all the walls would come crumbling down. They could go in and win the victory. That didn't make sense to Joshua. It didn't make sense to the Israelites, but, but Joshua trusted God and they trusted Joshua. And so, and so what Jesus is saying is that you may not fully understand this, but trust in God, trust also in me. It's not fully going to make sense to you but trust me because I'm God. He says, I'm going to go away. Um, I'm going to come back and get you, but don't worry about it. You know the way. You know how to get there. John chapter 14, verse 5 says this. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. Thomas was one of the disciples, and Thomas uh, usually gets a bad rap for doubting. Thomas was doubting Thomas, and when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, um, Thomas didn't believe that he was alive again until he put his hands on the wounds of Jesus, and, and that's when he finally believed. And so, and so Jesus is saying, I'm going, but you know the way. And Thomas says, no, we don't, Lord. We don't know the way. We have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way? And Thomas is, is speaking very logically here. He's like, Jesus, you're crazy. What are you talking about here? I, why are you leaving right now? I mean, your popularity is growing. We have the potential to build an army right now. We could set you on the throne of Israel, and, and all of Israel, the nation of Israel, will rally behind you, and, and we can overthrow Roman oppression, and, and we can own Jerusalem again, and, and this could be our city, and this could be our society. Why would you leave? Why are you going? And, and why wouldn't you take us with you this is not the time to be leaving how come you're you're bailing on us right now and, and and then he says and besides none of us know where you're going we don't know where you're going so if we don't know where you're going how do we know the way and Jesus says in, in verse 6 of chapter 14 of John he says I am the way we don't know the way we don't know where you're going we don't know how to get there Jesus says I'm the way you I just you get there through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do not know him, or you do know him and have seen him. We have to understand the Jewish religious system. They're not pantheists. They don't believe in lots of gods. They don't serve lots of gods. They serve the one Jehovah God, the God who spoke, let there be light, and light emanated forth in nothingness, and, and the God who created the heavens and the earth, and the God who got down on his hands and knees and, and, and made Adam and breathed that divine breath of life into him that's echoing throughout human history, and, and, and the God who is there at the very, the God who sent the ten plagues into Egypt and split the Red Sea and the God who works in power and anointing. And what Jesus is saying is that one God that you serve, the one God that the Israelites serve, the one God that created the heavens and the earth, you now know that God in an intimate way that you never have before because you know me. And what Jesus is saying here is just almost insane that, that a man 
would say, you know God because you know me. You have seen God because you have seen me. You know the heart of God because you know me. And it often sounds like Jesus is speaking in riddles, but, but thank goodness we have the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and we have scripture that we can study. But what Jesus is saying here is very clear. I am God. Let there be no mistakes about this. I'm not a man. I am a man, but I'm God. I'm not a good teacher. I am God. I was there. I am there. And, and Jesus doesn't even make any bones about this. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus is talking to some scribes and some Pharisees, some of the people that don't like him very much. And he says this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Now Jesus is saying this in front of a bunch of people that don't like him very well. Now imagine this in that context and in that culture. Jesus is standing there in his long, you know, flowing Revlon hair that we see on all the pictures and his bright blue eyes and his blue sash and his sandals and everything. Um, and, and he's walking up there and he's kind of this, this homeless guy who is, who is taken over the religious systems by storm. And, and these religious people that have been reading and studying scriptures their entire life and following these traditions and he gets up there and says you know no, listen guys let me set this straight for you let me let me tell you what this is all about you look at those scriptures because you're wanting eternal life but the reality is all of those scriptures all they ever do is point to me you're like what so you're saying Jesus that you are the center of scriptures that all of scripture points to you exactly you got it it's all about me it's all about me what Jesus is saying is that every scripture foreshadows me. Every word points to me. Every promise elevates me. Jesus is standing up there and saying, me and me alone, I and I alone am the sole purpose, the sole reason why you even have that scripture. It's all about me. It's no wonder they didn't like him very much, yes? Like, there's no wonder that they don't see Jesus as Mr. Rogers because Mr. Rogers wasn't arrogant like this. And Jesus, like, who do you think you are? In Daniel chapter 7, <clears throat> and this is all who Jesus says he is. This is Jesus' words. In Daniel chapter 7, um, which is in the Old Testament, Daniel has a vision of what many interpret to be the end times of kings and kingdoms and beasts and, and there, there's a setting right of the things that have, have gone wrong. And then he says in verse 13, Daniel writes this, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man. Let me say that again. He says, as that vision continued and as it was reaching its completion, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven and he approached the ancient one who would be God the Father and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty, which means complete control, complete authority over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And so, and so Daniel is prophesying about God who looks like a man. 
I saw someone like a son of man. And Daniel is saying, like, he is the eternal one. He is the eternal champion. He is the eternal king. His rule, his reign, his authority, his sovereignty, his love, his grace, his mercy will never, ever, ever end. He is the one who is going to rule for all of eternity. And so Daniel identifies this eternal victor who will reign forever and says he was like a son of man. He was like, he was like a son of man and kind of identifies that as a title in Mark chapter 10. Fast forward a couple hundred years. Verse 45, Jesus is talking about himself and trying to tell the disciples and the people of his purpose there. And he says this, he says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus is very subtle in this, but what he's doing is he's claiming personal identity of the victorious, eternal king that Daniel prophesied about. The son of man, and Jesus calls himself the son of man. In fact, he refers to himself as the son of man more often than anything else because he wants the people that, that have ears to hear and eyes to see to know that he's not just calling himself a son of man in the fact that he, he has a human body. He's identifying himself as the son of man, claiming that he is the one who Daniel has prophesied about. It's pretty clear. Jesus is saying again, I'm God. I'm the champion, I'm the king, I'm the eternal authority, I'm God. In Mark chapter two, there were four men who had a buddy who was paralyzed and he wasn't able to walk and they, they had heard the stories about Jesus, they wanted to get their buddy to Jesus but he was in this house and all the crowds were there and they had no way to sneak through the crowds as they were carrying their buddy on the mat and, and so they had this idea, many of you know the story, they climbed up on the roof and they, they broke a hole in the roof and they lowered their buddy um, through that hole with ropes and they dropped it right there in, in, in front of Jesus knowing and hoping that Jesus would, would heal the man. And everybody was there watching and the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders who hated Jesus were there watching to see how he would respond. And, and this is how Jesus responds in Mark chapter two, verse five. Jesus says, or as scripture says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Think about this again. The reason why they brought their man to Jesus was so that Jesus would heal his legs. That was the sole purpose. So Jesus sees all this. The man is in front of them. And then he says to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. I would imagine there's a moment as there's, you know, four friends with their eyeballs looking through the hole saying, what did he say? His sins are forgiven. No, 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 Jesus, not his sins, his legs. Don't worry about the sin stuff. We'll deal with his legs. That's why we brought him, because his legs. I mean, he was heavy. I don't want to carry him back. Don't worry about the sins, his legs. Deal with those first, right? Because isn't that why they brought him to Jesus, was to deal with his legs? He didn't heal him. He said, your sins are Forgiven, And he did this for a couple of reasons. He did this purposefully to sort of offend the religious leaders, but to also show them that he had the authority to forgive sins. Now, how do we know he had the authority to forgive sins? Because anybody can say, oh, my brother, your sins are forgiven. And nobody know if it's real. Because you can say that, right? Your sins are forgiven. Okay, what does that mean? Anybody can say that. But Jesus says, to show you that I have the authority and the power to forgive sins, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna show it to you like this, now watch this. Um, 
you, buddy, um, raise up, take your mat, and go home. And this guy who was paralyzed, he jumps up off of his mat. He rolls it up, and he takes it, and he goes home. And he says, you know, I, just, I wanted you to see that, that I have the power to forgive sins. And I showed you because I also have the power to heal him. And it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to take up your mat and go home. But I want you to know that I have the authority to forgive sins. And I proved it by showing you that I told him to take up his mat and go home. And they're just like infuriated. Jesus told people that their sins were forgiven and he never waited to consult all the other people who their sins had undoubtedly injured. I read this. It says this. It says, Jesus unhesitatingly behaved as if he was the party chiefly concerned, the person chiefly offended in all offenses. And so he says, your sins are forgiven. It would be like this. It would be like if Joe came up on stage and Joe was walking right up to me and I said, hey, Joe, how can I help you? And poof, he punched me right in the nose. And I fall flat and, you know, and blood everywhere and I'm angry and I'm hurt and I'm offended and, and, and I'm just frustrated and I'm mad at the safety team for not coming up and stopping Joe and I'm just mad at everybody. And then Steve comes up. I'm like, thank you, Steve's gonna let him have it, Right? And Steve comes up, and Joe's standing here, and I'm over here bleeding and angry. And you're like, oh, I can't believe this happened. Is this a part of the skit? You know? and, uh, and then Steve comes up here, and Steve says, Joe, I want you to know I forgive you. I'd be over here thinking, get Steve off the stage. Steve has no business forgiving Joe because Joe didn't do anything to Steve. Joe did something to me, and it seems like forgiveness falls in the hands of the person who is most aggressively and most personally hurt and offended by that. You know what I mean? Like, you can't forgive Joe for me. Joe hurt me. You can't forgive him. Now I'm mad at Joe, but I'm also really mad at Steve. Because Steve's presuming to forgive Joe's sin that he committed against me. But this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't consult those hurting in forgiving people because all sin is first and most directly an offense towards him. Think about this. If any other person was to presume to step between, you know, metaphorically speaking, me and Joe, they would look like a complete idiot. What are you doing? Get off of there. You can't forgive somebody on, on his behalf. But Jesus says, I forgive you. Your sins are forgiven. I'm the one who is forgiving you. If any other person were to do this, it would imply massive arrogance or outright insanity. Oddly enough, that's never how anybody responded. Right? And the only way that Jesus would have the authority to do that is if he was, in fact, God. Because the only one who can forgive sins is God. It's God. Jesus, or, or scripture says that Jesus tells us that he's humble and meek, and this is how we see him. But, but if he were just a man, humility and meekness would not be the characteristics that we would use to describe him. Like, he's an arrogant jerk who thinks he's the center of the universe. We wouldn't say meek and humble, but if he is God who laid down his glory to come and live and participate with humans and to try to speak to us on our level in a way that we can understand and, and dumb things down in a way that, that we can get a picture of it through parables and teachings and miracles and conversations, then we can say, yes, he was meek. Yes, he was humble. The center of the universe put on human flesh to come live with us. 
Wow. Wow. And so C.S. Lewis says, when trying to answer this question, who is Jesus, there are only three possible conclusions that you can come to. He says, number one, you could say he's a liar. You, you, could, you could say he's, he's a liar. You could say he's making it all up, that Christianity is the biggest hoax in human history, that Jesus isn't perfect, that he wasn't born of a virgin, that, that he wasn't divine, he wasn't eternal, and he has ulterior motives. And if this is a lie, and he is trying to trick us, then we could never call him a good person, right? If Jesus is lying, if this is a lie, then, then Jesus is the worst of all people. If this is a lie, then the wickedness, the evil, and the blackness in Jesus' heart far eclipses Hitler, Stalin, every evil person that you could think of. If this is a lie, and Jesus is just a man, then he is the worst of all men. And I know it's like, man, can you say that in church? But if it's a lie, He's, he's the worst. It's, it's, it's psychosis. It's, it's, it's a lie. It's the worst. If he isn't God, then he's an egomaniac that's altogether wicked. But if it is a lie and he's in it for himself, then why would Jesus constantly resist the crown when all of Israel was ready to anoint him king? If it was a lie, then, then why wouldn't he take it to its conclusion to where he could elevate himself on earth. If it was a lie, why wouldn't he roll that into wealth and riches and, and, and power on earth and authority there? If it is a lie, then he's not taking it where it's supposed to go. So C.S. Lewis says, I suppose you could come to the conclusion that, that it's a lie, but the problem is, too, that, that people don't lay down their life for a lie. Like the disciples, if they knew it was a lie and they were a part of it, they wouldn't have allowed themselves to be killed for a lie. Jesus' brother, half-brother James, would have known immediately if Jesus was lying. If I came up on the scene and said, I'm the Messiah, I'm Jesus, I'm the eternal one, my brother could come up and say, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Because... You claim to be perfect, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? What about this? You remember that thing that mom and dad didn't know and still don't? Do you want me to talk about that? No, 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 you're good, you're good, right? Like James could have immediately exposed Jesus for a liar. But James, his half-brother, served Jesus as God. If that's not proof that he's not a liar, then I don't know what is. Lies are fragile and delicate things. They don't have the strength to sustain oppression and persecution. So you could say maybe Jesus was a liar, but nobody lands there for a reason. Or you could say he was a lunatic. Jesus was just crazy. So you could say he was a lunatic. A couple, or several years ago, Melissa and I were just married. We were in a big city, and we were, it was about 10, 11 o'clock at night, and we were um, at a bus stop there, and we were waiting for the bus to come, and, you know, big city bus stop, you know, kind of surrounded by some sketchy people. And there was this one guy who was standing kind of on the curb waiting for the bus too. And, and he was having this really loud conversation. It was, it was loud. It was aggressive. It was arms waving everywhere. And it was filled with profanities. And he was, he was having this conversation with himself, okay? And so he was talking to himself. And he's arguing with himself and rah, 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 and doing all this. And I'm sitting over here, you know, in the bus stop. And, and Melissa is here. And I pull Melissa closer, you know what I mean? 
I need to have somebody to protect me unless things get down, so I want to make sure she knows, like, like, you got this, right, you know? And I'm looking around to see how everybody else is responding. Like, are they, like, searching for, like, weapons or keys? You know, the, you know I don't know what they're doing. Are we in this together? I'm, like, looking around. Like, if we have to throw down, who's with me? And they're just completely ignoring him. They're on their phones, reading books, you know, um, just, just compl- pretending he's not even there. And they must have known this guy, and they must have known that, that he either had, you know, some drug issues or mental issues or whatever it was. And I'm not, you know, trying to belittle, you know, people that, that are broken in that way. But, but they didn't really give him any time or attention. They didn't even respond to him any, in any way. It, it was as if the, their mindset was just don't engage. Just ignore it. You know, he's... You know, he is who he is, and just let it go. But it, it doesn't validate a response or a reaction. Just let it go. And so maybe Jesus isn't lying. Maybe he is a, a madman. Maybe he really believes he's God when he's not. Maybe there's no malicious intent in him. He's just crazy. But we don't ever get the sense from anyone in Scripture that they think he's crazy. In fact, time and time again, people who hear Jesus for the first time say, he speaks with an authority that I've never heard before. Even when Jesus was a little boy in the temple talking to the grown-ups, right? They're like, man, his wisdom is just amazing. I, where, how do you get this? And, and scripture says he speaks as one that has authority, but nobody has given him a title on earth. So, so I don't know where he gets this authority from, but he speaks with clarity. He speaks with power. He speaks with anointing. And, and people are completely engaged and completely captivated and completely moved by him. And, and there, there was a time... Let me get this right. There was a time when uh, in John chapter 7 where the religious leaders told the temple guards, you need to go arrest Jesus and bring him in. And so the temple guards went out to arrest Jesus and they came back empty-handed. And the religious leaders are furious that they came back empty-handed. And like, what are you doing? Jesus, where is he? He should be here. He should be in chains. Why don't you do your job? What's your excuse? And this is what they say in verse 46. They say, look, we've never heard anyone speak like this before. That's why they didn't bring Jesus in. Well, we went to arrest him just like you told us to. We were getting ready to throw the chains on him, and he's speaking to us, and he's speaking with power, anointing, and authority. He's talking about things that he shouldn't be talking about. He knows things about us that he shouldn't know. It's like he's speaking directly into my soul. Like, I'm not going to arrest that guy. Are you kidding? You go arrest him. There is power in him. There is anointing in him. There is authority in him. Like, like he's not the, the local town lunatic. There's something more. And so I suppose you could land at that spot where he is uh, crazy or he's a lunatic. But nobody walks away from Jesus thinking that he's insane. And that he's speaking utter nonsense. Like nobody comes to that conclusion. Even Jesus' enemies in Scripture, they don't come to that conclusion. And so, if he's not a liar and if he's not a lunatic, then maybe he's Lord. Maybe he's Lord. Maybe Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Maybe Jesus is the way. Maybe he is the truth. Maybe he is the life. Maybe Jesus is so concerned with what people think about him that he would ask this question that on the surface appears very arrogant because he loves us so much 
that since we're not able to clearly identify what the most important question that we'll ever have to answer is, he'll do it for us. Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Maybe Jesus really did set aside all of his glory to live a human life on this earth so that he could restore the relationship that was broken in the Garden of Eden. Maybe we do know the heart of God because we know Jesus. Maybe we have seen God in the character of Jesus. And look, if Jesus is God, and if he was there at the beginning when Adam was created, and when, when the Old Testament tells us that God consulted himself, then we get this first image of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existing there in creation, said we are going to make him like us. And if Jesus was there at the very beginning, and then Jesus did set aside his glory to come down and allow himself, to submit himself, to allow himself to be tortured at the hands of beings that were infinitely inferior to him. If Jesus really is God, then not only does he deserve our praise and our worship and our gratitude, but he deserves the title of Lord in our lives. If he is God, then shouldn't he be our Lord? If he is God, then shouldn't our response to be to serve him, to love him, to follow him, not with frustration, not with anger, not with compulsion, but shouldn't our response to if Jesus is God and he did all of those things and he sacrificed his glory so that I could be saved, then shouldn't my response just to be a worshipful submission to where I, I would say the only thing that matters is that you matter in my life. Because Jesus is Lord. So Jesus, because he wasn't manipulating a culture to gain notoriety, and Jesus, because his grace and power and miraculous actions and anointing proved that he wasn't a madman, asked this question, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Because this is important. This is the real Jesus. And, and because Jesus knows that it doesn't really matter at all what conclusion the world comes to or, or this group comes to or that group comes to. He, he follows it with the most important question. Look at this in verse 29. He says, then he asked to follow up this conversation, but who do you say that I am? Because it matters very little what they say, who they say that I am. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter responds, you're the Messiah. Stand on your feet all across this place. We're getting ready to close. We're just going to pray. So the question this morning is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? This is the critical question. This is what we have to wrestle with. This is the heart of the gospel good news in your life. Who do you say that Jesus is? This lies at the base of your existence and your eternity. 
hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.